The following is an encore presentation of Sunny in Seattle. Sunny would like to wish you and your families the happiest of holidays. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes originator and pioneering researcher into acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, Dr. Stephen Hayes. And the two of them will be discussing his latest landmark book, A Liberated Mind. So tune in and learn how to liberate yourself so you can live with meaning and purpose, along with pain when there is pain. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I am your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. You can find those at 1150kknw.com. You can you can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. Uh, find out more about me or connect with me through my website, which is goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com. Uh, Benny, how is everything up in Seattle? Uh, doing pretty good. We're a little overcast, but that's okay. You know, a little liquid sunshine never hurts anybody. Yeah. Well, we actually have an overcast morning here in Petaluma as Yay, well. Yeah, high five. Great minds think alike. <laughs> Great cities think alike. We love that. I know. I think that's part of one of the reasons why I felt so comfortable in Petaluma is because we do mm -hmm. have some nice fog that comes in off the water here in the North Bay area, and right. it feels a little bit like my Seattle home. Yeah, you so. just couldn't completely <laughs> remove yourself from us. I mean, oh, it's under, no. I get what you're trying to do, but... <laughs> 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 we did find, Chase and I did find our happy medium here between me not being able to tolerate the heat of Texas right. and him not wanting Seattle right. gloom during parts of the year. We found Northern California, so here we are. Right, but we still have the love for you. <laughs> You and your show that's still on KKNW and uh, the outlets of all the you know uh, podcast sites and so forth. So yeah, yeah we still uh, love you. I know, I know, everybody. So when are you ever going to change the show name? Why it's still sunny in Seattle if you're sunny in Petaluma now? And I thought, I don't know, home station, and it just has that tie to Seattle that I love. So until, as we talk about on the show, until yeah. it becomes choiceless, yeah. um, I think we'll just keep it as is. Yeah, we brainstormed it for a while, and it never kind of panned out. We just kind of just went in a different direction. I believe I'm speaking for you, too. It's your show, not mine. But, you know, <laughs> we, definitely, Benny, we definitely put it out there. be a show without you. Well, you know what I mean. It's not Benny in Seattle. It doesn't have that ring. It's the <laughs> oh well thanks Benny sure. and good to hear your voice you and too. thanks for holding down the fort up Anytime, there time anything well I'm really excited to speak with our guest today I know I say that every week but I'm always excited about our guests because uh, most of them are teachers or authors or academics who I have followed for quite some time and really use their work in my own life. And that is why I wanna share them with our listening audience. And today is no different. Um, my guest today is Dr. Stephen C. Hayes. He is a foundation professor of psychology at the University of Nevada, Reno, and is the author of 46 books, including Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life, which for a time was the best-selling self-help book in the United States. Um, he also has the new book, which we'll be discussing today, A Liberated Mind. He's an expert on the importance of acceptance, mindfulness, and values. He is ranked among the most cited psychologists in the world. Um, of course, the book, as I mentioned, that we'll be discussing today, the full title is A Liberated Mind, How to Pivot Toward What Matters. 
And um, one of the, um, of course, Stephen Hayes is known as the originator of ACT, which is Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Um, and so I'm just going to mention this several times throughout the show. While he is primarily an academic, he just this week, and I had no idea when we scheduled the show it would be so timely um, or serendipitous, but just this week released on Audible or through Amazon an audio course for non-professionals called Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And I have a feeling once you listen to the show today, you may be very interested to learn more about this work. And I'm very excited uh, to, to listen to this audio course. Um, but again, that's available um, on Audible and Amazon as of July 15th, so just this week. Find out more about Dr. Hayes through his website, which is stephenchayes.com. The name is spelled S-T-E-V-E-N-C. Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. So that's stephenchayes.com. So uh, Dr. Hayes, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Sunny. And I have connections to uh, Seattle and UW. I've got former students there, traveled regularly, training folks. So I know about the liquid sunshine there. And (laughs) welcome to all the (laughs) my friends there. Oh, wonderful. Well, we were talking before we came on air. Um, One of the reasons, well, not one of, the reason that I know about acceptance and commitment therapy is because of Martha Beck. And um, as listeners know, um, when I was uh, still married and still practicing law and was really not feeling there was something restless in my heart, my spirit, I was not in the right life, it didn't feel like. And Martha Beck's writing was one of the primary catalysts that helped me articulate what was wrong and transform and change in ways that led me to where I sit today doing the work that I now do. And one of the teachers that Martha referenced quite a bit, I think the only, (laughs) some of the only other uh, modalities or, or, um, I guess uh, things that she taught quite so much in in her life coach training program, of course, Byron Katie was very big, but also acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT as we'll call it. And so um, I became familiar with your work, Dr. Hayes, and found it to be very effective um, with uh, my own life, my own thoughts and my own values, as well as that with my clients. Um, And so it's really special to be talking to you here today. And I was excited with the way that I found out about your newest book, A Liberated Mind, was because Martha kept talking about it on, she does this weekly Facebook Live thing called The Gathering Room. And so she speaks 30 minutes or so about what she's learning about and things that can help everybody out there who follows her work. And so she kept talking about a liberated mind. I thought, I've got to read this and reach out to Dr. Hayes. So here we are. So thank you again for being here. I'm, so, I'm really glad to be here. And, you know, Mar- she's been so helpful, Martha, over the years. And, um, you know, early on sort of saw where this kind of geeky work was going and saw a way to, you know, bring it into the um, lives of people more using popular culture, something that academics have a hard time learning how to do. I'm still working on it. I'm just about to turn 72. I think I'm getting a little better. And uh, <laughs> Liberated Mind is my latest attempt. But, uh, yeah, it's really, really important to have voices like hers in in the culture. She's done so much good for so many people. Yes. Well, I'm very glad that she was made aware of your work as well and that, that now we get to speak about it here today. Um, so I wanted to actually start 
I know for people out there listening, not everyone may be familiar with acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, so I definitely want to just let you describe, you know, for um, a mainstream audience who isn't familiar, in a nutshell, what is it? Um, but I also would love it if we could talk a bit about your background. Um, one of the things that I thought was really impactful in the book is you describing yourself as a panic disordered person in re recovery. And so it, it, from my reading of your book, it, your own panic disorder um, culminating in a bit of an awakening experience on your bedroom floor many, many years ago led to where we sit here today. So whatever you'd like to say about that to bring us up to speed on your background in the ACT. Well, ACT is uh, at the level of what we actually do is a collection of acceptance and mindfulness methods, commitment and behavior change methods. But really, and none of those were were cutting edge and people just weren't talking about it in the scientific community. I think it's more central now with what the focus on mindfulness that's just everywhere and on the more spiritually oriented but science-based approaches. The thing that I'm most excited about underneath the ACT work is that we've been able to get it down to a very small set of principles and we're sitting atop of uh, somewhere around 3,000 studies. So you're, it's evidence-based and there a way that it might say it is we've been trying to hack the human mind. We've been trying to figure out what is the smallest set of things you need to know about how your mind works and how it clashes with other parts of you. And that if you know the processes that go awry, you're able to turn them in the right direction. That metaphor of a pivot that's in the liberated mind is to take the energy that actually is being mishandled and leads to misery and channel it towards prosperity. And it's a small set, it's only six things. And it, it isn't everything, but it's the 20% that does the 80%. And it started, my own personal thing, journey on that started uh, inside my own struggle with panic disorder, a three year descent into hell, the way I usually describe it, that eventually got to the point where it was gonna take away my career. I literally couldn't give a lecture in front of a group of undergraduates, which is not good if you're a beginning untenured academic. <laughs> And what I what I found in that spiral down and ultimately kind of hitting bottom, people can uh, look at a TEDx talk where I, where I walk through it. I can I can talk some here, but I found that uh, at bottom I realized that I was trying to run from my own experience, and that there was another option which was to turn toward my own experience. I mean, in literally in a matter of seconds, I could feel that was transformational. I could I could sense that there were options there that that the fog lifted, and it was amazing and fascinating. What the heck is that? You know, that kind of a, a of an experience. And rather, we did three quick randomized trials because you're talking to a science geek, showing <laughs> the methods that I knew that might do that, might help others make that turn were useful. And we kept adding uh, to that as, as it went forward. I don't allow people to say I found, you know, developed ACT. I lit the fire, instigated, I started it, but a whole bunch of my colleagues and students over, over years have developed it together as a communitarian kind of effort. But, uh, you know, as we sort of distill those things down and in, into features when I when I put it into other people's lives, they opened up as well. And so sitting atop these 3000 studies, I can tell you, if you learn these six things, 
you can take the trajectories that are moving in a negative direction in almost any area of your life if it involves your mind and behavior and learn how to manage and turn that in a different direction, then life will open up. And so uh, that's a little different than some of the wisdom and spiritual traditions that are often in the same territory but haven't done that science-based. So, uh, you know, we did a quick couple quick trials, and then I spent 15 years in almost um, obscurity, hmm. me and my students, walking out what these processes are. And so now it's become very popular. It's around the world. There's millions of act books in print. There's tens of thousands of act therapists around the world. And that's the overnight sensation that took 30, 40 years to produce. And, you know, that's all wonderful, but what's really important is these processes because uh, you, once you know what they are, it becomes a lot easier to detect when you're going awry and to put them into your life. Yes, and for those out there listening, when we're talking about these, these, um, we'll talk more about what psychological flexibility and these particular skills that ACT teaches, and they're useful. I'll just say, because I feel like what I'm about to read, will at least one of these will apply to everyone out there. Um, as Dr. Hayes mentioned, it's, it's applicable in virtually every area, um, mental health, so anxiety, depression, substance abuse, eating disorders, PTSD, physical health, such as chronic pain, dealing with diabetes, facing cancer or terminal illness, um, social processes like relationship issues, romantic or otherwise, prejudice, stigma, domestic violence, and then as well as performance um, in sports and business and diet and exercise. Um, so really that what um, I have taken away, not only from what I knew about ACT before, but particularly this latest book, A Liberated Mind, was that these skills that we'll talk about here today can enhance anyone's life or for people who are debilitated by anxiety or, um, you know, coping with a terminal illness. This really gives folks the freedom to turn, as you say in the subtitle, turn toward what matters um, and not be so crippled by things that keep us from living the life that we really want to be living. Um, one of the things you mentioned, Dr. Hayes, uh, that you realized when you were sitting on that bedroom floor was that if you turned toward the pain, and there was this really beautiful story you share about a dream you had as a child. Um, can you tell us what you mean <laughs> when you say turning toward the dinosaur? Well, I think most of us kind of know deep down what works for us and, and what doesn't. And we found things, but they've been overwhelmed by the judgmental, analytical, problem-solving mind. And there was a, a dream I had uh, as a kid, repetitive dream of dinosaurs that were, uh, uh, you know, going to attack me. I'm talking in, in early elementary school. And these Tyrannosaurus rexes would be looking in my window with gigantic eyeballs. And I'd run from in my dreams from one room to the other. And then they'd find that room. And they'd have sooner or later, I would break and run. I'd leave the house. And it was one of those running dreams. And by the matter how fast you go and how hard you work, you just can't <laughs> go fast enough. And so I've got a creature from the Jurassic, you know, coming closer and closer. And I'm turning and I'm running. And finally, it would bite me and I'd wake up. It'd grab, you know, swallow me down whole and I'd wake up. Somewhere in this sequence of dreams that were repetitive, I had kind of a lucid dream and I, I had the thought, you know, when it eats me, I wake up. I should just turn and run towards the dinosaur, <laughs> which I did in my dream. 
I turned, ran towards the dinosaur, jumped in its mouth and woke up. And so I started doing that repetitively and the dreams went away. It turns out creatures from the Jurassic don't find that fun. <laughs> they want to chase you. Uh, if it's an easy meal, it's just <laughs> not of much interest. And sort of deep inside my learning history, but it's not just mine. Everybody listening to me knows this. You all know it. Can I prove it to the listeners quickly? Oh, please. I want all the examples we can get so people can feel this. Well, one I, I commonly use, and we actually have done some recent research on this, is just you can do it mentally. You don't have to actually physically, but you're in a safe place and nobody's looking to do it physically. Pick something that's really hard that, that you struggle with. And then I'm going to ask you two questions about that. So get something that is a mental struggle, not, uh, that something has to do with your mind and behavior, something to do with your psychology that's current, that's punchy, that's hard. And then put your body in a position that if I were to see it from the outside and it would be like I'm looking at a sculpture, you know, like those game of statues we used to play when we were kids, mm -hmm. I would know what's going on in your inside with you at your best when dealing with that issue. And then do the same with you at your worst when dealing with that issue. If you're actually in a place where nobody can watch it, actually do it. And I've taken pictures of hundreds of people around the world who are just about to publish this study. People wearing burqas, you know, people wearing loincloths. We've got pictures from around the world. And here's what humans do when you ask them that question. Regardless of culture, ethnicity, religion, you at your worst, your eyes come down, your head goes down, you may fold at the waist, your arms and hands come in, you may bring your knees towards your chest, your, your fists may clench, your jaws clench, you may put yourself almost in a fetal position or you get yourself in a kind of defensive position. Uh, so it's some combination of flop, fight, flee or fail. It's some combination of defense. You at your best, your head comes up, your eyes open, your arms and hands go out, you're probably standing up, your your feet are apart, you can turn and look and move with the same issue, mind you. So don't we all know that? Well, we can show it with our body. What are you showing? If you are more open, engaged, able to do what's needed, you're more conscious, you're more present, you're able to see and be present. Conversely, if you're turned inward, you're trying not to see, you're closing down your sensory system, you're less aware, you're less able to move, you're less able to do things. Well, that's two different postures and those are exactly the psychological flexibility or inflexibility processes. When we mentally turn away, run, hide, become less conscious and less able to pursue what we really care about, life gets smaller. If you spin those I actually just said six things. You may not realize that. Spin those six things in the more open, engaged, and aware direction, life gets bigger. But the mind doesn't understand that. The problem-solving mind always wants to give you uh, life as a math problem. You know, you are a complex math problem. You are a broken machine. You need to be fixed. That's the posture that uh, crushes people. Conversely, life is a process to be lived. Your values matter. 
you're, you don't have to subtract your pain to be present. You know, those kinds of things that are in our spiritual and wisdom traditions, in the best parts of our culture, the best parts of our clinical traditions, you know, those lift people up. And if you can distill it down, kind of hack the mind, understand why it happens, it gives you tools to be able to apply the things that you see that are out there on shows like yours and understand what the processes are that are being changed that explain why those things work. Yes, and we'll talk about, you know, we mentioned the six pivots, and, and I would like to at least um, list those or and let us unpack as much as you think is helpful, um, Dr. Hayes. But the one thing we, you were talking about, we have this mind, and I think something, you call it the dictator within, and I think that is something that many people can relate to. Um, who is this dictator within, and how do we know it's operating? It's our problem-solving mind. You know, the, the problem-solving mind, the symbolic mind, which is wonderful, it's what allows us to imagine futures that have never been, to do science, to create, to do art, literature, etc. It's wonderful. It's all good. I don't want to be a dog or a cat. I love my dog. I don't want to be one. You know, the coyotes would eat poor little D.O.G. if, uh, if it wasn't for us. Uh, you know, but it's only a couple million years old or several hundred thousand years old. This is really recent. The things that move in your body, your mind, et cetera, around that are basic, those are things that are half a billion years old, the ability to learn by association, half a billion years old. We know that. It's 545 million years ago it started. And just basic kind of neurobiological processes were heading into a billion years old. So you've got this new kid on the block, <laughs> that bossy voice, which is great with regard to solving problems. And it's actually great for other things, but it usually gets overwhelmed. It's it's really good at observing to describing. I mean, your mind allows you to look at a sunset and go, wow. But that's the descriptive and observing part of you. The problem-solving part of you has just been put on steroids in the modern world. Yeah. We're carrying on little computers in our pocket that expose us to pain, to judgment and comparison constantly. And those processes of pain, judgment, and comparison, you know, are ones that cause you to move into that protective huddle with yourself. So we need to learn to put our, our voice within on a leash. Use it when it's useful, when you're doing your taxes, when you're fixing your car, when you're planning your investments, all good. When you're trying to have peace of mind, it's a train wreck. <laughs> deal with past betrayals, histories, traumas, awful. Because it, it, it tells you to do really, really unhelpful things like, I need to get rid of that memory. There's no delete button in the nervous system that's healthy. Brain deterioration is the only delete button. You know, is that your solution? <laughs> Your history, you, know, you got to wait for your brain to deteriorate. I mean, think about it. It's not going away. If you were told horrible things, or you had horrible things happen, that will follow you to your grave, of course. What are you going to do that allows you to bring the whole of you into this moment, even the things that are painful and prosper? Well, that requires getting out of your mind into your life, to quote the title of a book I rather like. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, we figured out. out we really figured out a lot about how to do that. And it's not that all of our methods are, there's lots of methods out there, but we've really kind of, I think, dug down to the processes and 
and then you can explore new methods. You can make up methods. People in in my books, I invite people to make up methods. They send me things from around the world that I would never would have thought of that are really cool. Yeah, and uh, there are so many um, beautiful stories included in the book. And I know we're right at about time for our break, but what I thought I could do is just read the the, the six pivots. And Dr. Hayes, if there's a particular story um, that you think might be impactful to share with our listeners before we go to break, we can certainly do that to, to give an example. Um, so those six pivots in acceptance and commitment therapy, and these are the psychological flexibility skills. Um, and uh, we've got diffusion, which is basically putting the mind on a leash, self, the art of perspective taking, acceptance, learning from pain, presence, living in the now, values, caring by choice, and then action, committing to change. Um, so I'm sure we can unpack those a bit, but is, is there anything that you want to share on those or any story that comes to mind, Dr. Hayes, from the book that would that show people how this really works? Okay, well, I was, I, for reason, what occurs to me is I was given a talk at Stanford, and I, I it was to an evolutionary medicine conference, and I was explaining what is happening with sleeping medications, that even the most basic things that we know how to do. We've had millions of years of evolution and knows how to, we know how to sleep, but our minds don't. Our minds don't know how to sleep. And they're telling us we have to sleep. Otherwise, we'll be so tired, etc. Well, uh, I had given a talk at Stanford and I'd made a mistake. Uh, I had said that uh, $3 trillion was spent on sleeping medications. And of course, it's $3 billion. And $3 trillion is idiotic. <laughs> at Stanford and they're recording it and I missed it I'd missed that I'd made the mistake but I'm asleep and suddenly I wake up and my mind goes you said three trillion dollars and I went ah and I jumped up and I'm marching back and forth you idiot you idiot I'm at Stanford they recorded what a stupid they called three trillion dollars are you out of your mind and then it occurs to me to apply my diffusion method. This is a method that was in, invented by Titchener 100 years ago, the father of American psychology. And I sat on the edge of my bed, never been used clinically until we started to do it. And I it, picked a word, I think it was stupid, that was inside that judgment. And I said the word stupid fast, out loud, stupid, 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 for 30 seconds which we've done research on it about once per second, at least 30 seconds, your distress goes down by 80%. Believability goes down even more. I took a breath, went back to sleep. So, you know, if we can put our minds on a leash and not let it run us off and uh, interfere with the most basic functions, such as being able to be present, be conscious, to reach out in love with towards others, to be vulnerable, to sleep, I mean, so, uh, yeah, uh, reigning in the mind is important because it'll uh, interfere with almost every domain. Yeah, that's one of the old proverbs that Martha Beck, I first heard it from her, and I think it's so beautiful, is the mind is a wonderful servant but a terrible master. Um, so, yeah, putting the mind on a leash. And yeah, I will just say, I was going to say this till later, but as we're going to the break, one of the things, and I maybe I'll even, it bears repeating, I think, um, that you end the book by um, basically this beautiful quote. I'll just share it here. 
you say you put your bet on our capacity to choose love over fear. That can only happen one person, couple, family, business, and community at a time when each of us learns how to put our own mind on a leash and become more able to open up, show up, and move forward toward what we deeply care about. We shine a light into the darkness that helps others do the same. There is a good word for it. The word is love. And I think this is particularly important, um, and we'll talk more about this on the other side of our break, but this book is not only, I think, so impactful for how we can bring more peace, more joy, more freedom in our own lives, but the impact that this can have on the world. And there, I don't think in at least the time that I've been alive, and probably I think many people can say this that are much older than I am, that there has never been a more important time for this to be, um, for for the word to be love and for us to put the mind on a leash so that we can, uh, as you say, shine a light into the darkness. Um, so I'll just mention before we go to break, in case anyone wants to look this up, um, I, of course, am talking to Dr. Stephen Hayes, the originator of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, his latest book, which really brings this, you know, I know Dr. Hayes is an academic first and foremost, but this book is so approachable. This is written for you, for me, for people that are not professionals to be able to apply this in your life. Um, the book is A Liberated Mind, How to Pivot Toward What Matters. And don't forget that recently released course, uh, now available on Audible or through Amazon, um, the audio course on acceptance and commitment therapy and the website if you want to check out Dr. Hayes' work and some other things he's got there, many resources, stephenchayes.com, and that's S-T-E-V-E-N, and then last name is H-A-Y-E-S, stephenchayes.com. We will be back in just a few. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Hey, Sunny and Seattle friends. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that the greatest gifts and synchronicities of my life happened when I started listening to the voice of my soul and let it take the lead. But in a crazy culture and a chaotic world, it can often be difficult to hear that soul voice. And we forget just how powerful that spiritual being inside you really is, which is why I created Soul Digger, a membership community for women and those who identify as women who want to live a soul-driven life. We meet virtually to learn, connect, share, grow, and inspire one another on our spiritual journey. Find out more at my website, goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com. And click on the tab that says, Work With Me. So come get shamelessly spiritual with us in the Soul Digger community, where we mine the true gold that comes from your soul. COVID-19 is a severe lung infection. Trust the American Lung Association for science-based public health information, especially for the 36 million Americans who live with lung disease. We have resources to protect your lung health, access expertise from medical professionals, and peer-to-peer -peer support through our online communities. Visit lung.org for daily updates or call 1-800-LUNG-USA. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Hunting may seem like an unexpected pastime for Iowa resident Rachel Vanderwerf. I did not grow up hunting. I was not at all involved in the hunting world. An environmental consultant, she was vegan for a while because of animal welfare and sustainability concerns. 
but Vanderwerf missed eating meat. So to obtain it in a way she feels is ethical, she decided to try hunting. And after her first deer hunt, she was hooked. Really, that was the first time that I felt like I was part of nature and part of the food system. As she's gotten more involved, she's realized that hunting can inspire people to protect wildlife habitat. She says hunters often lead land conservation efforts in her state. Iowa has lost 99% of its native prairie and wetlands. It's really important to conserve what we have left. So today, Vanderwerf leads a group called Edible Outdoors. It offers classes on hunting, fishing, and foraging. She hopes these practices help people feel more connected to nature. The more people are out enjoying our land, the more likely that they're going to be invested in wanting it to be conserved. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. The following is an encore presentation of Sunny in Seattle. Sunny would like to wish you and your families the happiest of holidays. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, joined today by Dr. Stephen C. Hayes, the originator of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. We're talking about his latest book, A Liberated Mind. Um, so, Dr. Hayes, you know, before the break, we talked a little bit about um, the the six pivots, these um, yeah. psychological flexibility skills. Is there anything else you want to say or unpack about those? I know I've got questions about a few of them, but um, you know, however you like to do this for uh, well, three I, minutes. One thing I can do is simplify them. I mean, you can get the six down to three easily, because really, the the first two are the the you know, backing up from your mind just enough so that you can see it in flight. You can see it doing what it's doing. It's fine to have that tool. It's not you, even though it says it is. It's just one part of you. It's within you. It's fine. It's great. It's wonderful. It really is. But notice it with a little bit of separation so that you can choose what's useful and leave the rest and learn how to do that. Open up to your emotions. Well, those two together, opening up to your mind and noticing it, open up to your emotions, your memories, your bodily sensations and noticing it, that's uh, these kind of opening processes. Then there's those centering ones of showing up behind your eyes. There's this conscious, more spiritual human being that doesn't have attributes and qualities other than awareness. Part of you is just noticing. You know, when, when, when you're praying or you're meditating or you're... Uh, you know, deeply in uh, connected with somebody else in a way that is uh, where you almost be blend. You may have had experiences with people you've deeply loved where you have that quality of not an unhealthy losing of boundaries, but you're, there's a we here. That you're tapping into this I here now awareness that uh, shows up around age three or so. And from there on, Consciousness is a strand on which you can put the beads of memory. Use that to focus on what's going on in the present, outside and inside. Well, those are awareness processes. So we have the opening processes. We have the awareness processes. Consciously contacting what's present inside and out. And then being able to turn your attention towards what brings meaning and purpose to your life. What are the qualities of being and doing that you want to show up? to show, to, to instantiate, to bring into the world. And how can you create habits around that instead of creating habits around your fears and avoidance and, and all the rest? 
Oh, you know, your narcissism, your self-judgment, your aggrandizing, your self-criticism, all that stuff that the mind brings into our hearts and mind, that brings into our moments. Can we kind of get a little distance, show up in the present, turn our attention towards what we deeply care about, build habits around that? Those are these engagement processes. So open, aware, actively engaged. You put all that together, that's psychological flexibility. And what a liberated mind does is it walks through and shows that actually it gives you what you really wanted, even in the things that you're doing that are unhealthy. For example, when you run away from pain, what you're trying to do is figure out a place where you can go, where you get to feel. You came into the world wanting to do that. I mean, babies will reach out and explore and lick and smell and taste and they, they want to feel, they want to explore. When you grow up, it's the same thing. But your mind says, okay, yeah, but you can't explore things that are that that are painful. Like if you love somebody, they might die or they might betray you or they might, they, you know, you be, it'd be better to be pretty well. But then you don't get to be to have that quality of vulnerability that comes with love. So it, the avoidance of vulnerability costs you love itself. So the mind doesn't know how to love. It knows how to solve problems. And so, you know, when you're able to 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 um, find the energy that's inside what you're doing that's really harmful, it turns out you can channel that energy towards actually getting what you want instead of the ripoff version your mind gives you, which is the smaller, sooner reward versus the larger, later reward. Like when you avoid, you feel better. Woohoo, I feel better. But, you know, just a day later, you're feeling worse because your life is smaller. So, Let's go for what you really want, but do it in a way that pays off on the long, long term. And that's the difference between the inflexibility processes and the flexibility processes. And it gives you a little bit of compassion. We're not broken. We're not screwed up. We're just doing logical, reasonable, sensible, pathological things. Yes. And one of the things that has been, I think, the most impactful in the inclusion of these, of if we're breaking it back down into the six skills, the values. Um, and you write that one of the greatest sources of psychological distress is losing touch with the values that are truly meaningful to us. And I was, I was particularly, um, I guess, curious and um, it made so much sense, but that, you know, if you have someone say, for example, that has agoraphobia, agoraphobia and you want to expose them by taking them to the mall, but instead of just exposing them, you actually put that exposure in service of something like buying a gift for a loved one. Exactly. Um, and I thought, yeah, that values component is so, um, I don't know, that's my favorite one, I think. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, if you had to pick just one that lands quickly, it's values. The the, the pro problem, if you just do that and not the rest, is that sometimes then the mind will give you more things to torture you about. See, you care about these things, but you're not doing it. <laughs> you didn't do it there, and you didn't do it there. What's the matter with you? Blah, 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 blah. So opening up to your values is really important because that's really where the rubber meets the road is that you get to live a life that's meaningful and purposeful. That's why that subtitle, how to pivot towards what matters. But you require supports to do that because, uh, you know, just opening your heart towards what matters, well, then what do you do? I mean, take, for example, if you, you open up to love and caring towards another person, yeah, but you know that, bad things could happen to them. When uh, my wife and I were uh, uh, courting, 
I'm a pretty old dude and uh, I'm 15 years older than my wife. And she was saying, oh, I don't want children. And so I thought, oh, that's good because I got three. And, you know, my oldest, uh, who just turned 50, my youngest is now 14. Well, the youngest is uh, from my current marriage. And uh, right towards the end, my wife says, I actually do want children. I didn't know that I did, but I do with your children. No, I want to. I go, oh, no. Again. <laughs> Oh, no. I go out for a walk, come back. I say, okay, let's do it. But here's something I want to tell you. Haven't been there. I got three kids. I'm pretty, you will never feel so vulnerable and it will never go away. And about six months later, my wife comes to me with her hands held out like she's holding a baby. After, six months after my, uh, my son was born, Stevie. And he says, you know, what you said back then is so true. Every day I love him more and more. And then I think, oh, what would happen if he got sick? What if he got an injury? What if he, somebody took him? What if he died? I said, welcome to the other side. <laughs> you know, and we're facing it right now, aren't we? Here with this COVID thing you mentioned, we've got now, you know, mental health isn't one out of five people. Mental, Ill, mental resilience and, and mental health is five out of five. And we have this global challenge. And, you know, 70 some percent of the parents are saying, I'm really concerned about sending my children to school. This is just a month away. What are we going to do? And we're having that conversation at home. And so but my point being, you know, caring about your children, raising them well, these values-based things. Yeah, but it carries the vulnerability to pain with it. Is there anything that you deeply care about where that isn't a place where you can be hurt? Mm. You hurt where you care. You care where you hurt. That's the way it works. It's a two sides of the same sheet of paper. So, uh, yeah, values are really, really important. It's where the rubber meets the road. But you need the rest of the flexibility processes to be able to make those choices and to say, Yes, you know, to flash, have that flashlight into the darkness, you know, and I'm, I'm making a baby and I'm going to raise this kid and we're going to love. And yes, I know pain is ahead for him. I know loss is possible. That can happen. Uh, and love is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, as you just mentioned, you really do need all of the six. I, I think you even mentioned in the book that you all have done research where you gave people a couple of the six skills yeah. and a couple here, a couple there. And the folks that didn't have the full six, they didn't have the same results. It was not as effective. Yeah, that actually we've, and that's lovely that you remember that study because I'm really quite fond of it. Like we just did coming into the present moment and values, period. But nothing on diffusion, you know, backing up from your mind, nothing on acceptance, open up your heart to the full range of emotions. And what happened is two thirds of the folks did really well. And about a third of the folks in their values based journey hit things that produced emotional pain. And then they didn't know what to do. Mm. And a couple of them actually went in a negative direction. Conversely, if I just did acceptance, I just did diffusion to come into the present moment. Yeah, people were more open, but they were less 
clear about what their values journey are, what do they really want. I see this right now in this, I think, excessive emphasis on mindfulness without understanding that in the spiritual and religious traditions in which mindfulness has been placed, right action and values is central. Yeah. I mean, your teachers are talking about how to bring that space into your family, into your health practices, into your work, etc. And now we're seeing in the West selfish mindfulness. Mm. You take care of the kids. I got to go meditate. <laughs> what? What? I mean, that's not what that's for. And, and so we... If you don't have the whole thing of, you know, open, aware, and actively engaged, if you try to cut corners and just grab it one or two, uh, you bump into problems of either sort, either yeah. hitting things they need to open up to or forgetting that opening up is in the service of getting going. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, clearly this you've been doing research now for decades. So, um, yeah, I think inclusion of all those six is really important. And I think... I mean, clearly. And one of the things that I enjoyed also about the book is that in part three, you are actually showing people how to use the ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Toolkit, um, and in really daily ways and challenges from, you know, the mental health challenges of anxiety and depression to nurturing relationships and your uh, marriage. And the one that, well, First of all, I was really under the nurturing relationships. I was so um, blown away by the promising results that you've seen in um, rehabilitating perpetrators of domestic violence. Oh, wow. Um, that was wild. Um, <laughs> it is, know if- you know, this this is a change the world kind of thing. And it's not right. my work. It's uh, uh, Amy Zarling in Iowa. And she showed that you can bring this acceptance and commitment therapy space into the lives of perpetrators, including those who are court adjudicated or in jail in the most recent study. And for the first time ever in the history of science, have a very large reduction over a year's time in actual domestic violence or in violent crime of all sorts. In a, in She did a, a controlled study and then a, a, another controlled study at, in uh, Iowa said, okay, I'll tell you what, let's take what we're doing now with perpetrators right now, which is we put them into groups that the judge requires that, you probably know that, they, they don't wanna necessarily put you in jail forever, that's not wise, but you, is it okay to abuse your spouse? No, what are we gonna do? There is a, a combination of traditional CBT and what's called the Duluth model, which is a good-hearted effort to sort of point to the power differences and the implicit uh, gender bias that's there. Since most perpetrators are male, not all, but most, and and teach folks about that. Unfortunately, it doesn't change outcomes in terms of future violence. It changes what people say, sometimes what they say they feel, but it doesn't reduce violence. Turns out teaching people how to be more open, to notice what emotions are going on, to connect with their values, and in that microsecond where they might turn towards hitting, turn towards in, instead building on those values-based journey that they that they, they want to pursue, that led to a 37% reduction. And in this study, it was across the entire state of Iowa, everybody who was quarter-jaded adjudicated for a year in domestic violence was either assigned to the traditional CBT bus Duluth or ACT. Mm. 
and they followed them, all of them, all domestic arrest records of all kinds for the entire state. They had access. If you got arrested for anything in Iowa, so you had to leave Iowa to leave the state. <laughs> 37% reduction Ugh. in domestic violence and a similar reduction in violent crimes of all sorts. First time it's ever been shown. And now in Iowa, they no longer offer the CBT in Duluth. If you have a domestic violence charge, you go into a an act protocol and she's spending her time now with uh, expanding that around the country. Yeah. But yeah, the, that's... The, the deep thing that always makes me uh, tear up about it is this, the, the start of that is you treat perpetrators as human beings. Yeah. You do not come in and shame and blame. Yes, it's a crime. Yes, it's a crime. But do you understand most of these men have themselves been victims of violence and of abuse and sexual abuse and that's how that happened this is an intergenerational thing and if you're shaming people what do you think is going to happen that's exactly the moment where the hitting is most likely so no you don't just sort of have hearts and flowers and excuse the crime no but you treat people as people and walk them into uh, a different pathway and that you know, Get Out of Your Mind in Your Life was written for prisoners. I My first job was working in the federal penitentiaries. And I'm shocked that here we have, you know, the Sermon on the Mountain, Beatitudes and so forth. You know, we were supposed to be there for criminals and we got into a space in which it's lock, feed and count that we treat mm-hmm. people as if they're, they're garbage yeah. and should be just locked away. It's a horrifying thing we've done. Yeah. And it's time for us to wake up and to... Uh, you know, treat people in a different way, but but a wise way, not excusing, you know, not Pollyanna, but real science focused yeah. on how do we change these life trajectories and really make a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, on that note on waking up, one of the things that I wanted to make sure we covered today um, you wrote, I think this was in the acknowledgments perhaps now, and I can't remember where I pulled this quote, but you said that your wife helped you to look more closely at social context and privilege issues. And yeah. then of course is, uh, there's a segment on, um, prejudice and social transformation. And, um, do you mind if I share a quote that you wrote about, yeah. uh, prejudice, and then we can talk maybe for the rest of the show, just about your thoughts on act and how we can, wake up, as you just said, wake up to this issue. Yeah, you write that the sad fact is that if we're not helping to solve the problem of prejudice, we're helping to perpetrate it, or sorry, perpetuate it. If we do not learn how to catch our invisible privilege or the subtly prejudicial thoughts as they course through our minds, we will inevitably be somewhat complicit in stereotyping and dehumanizing others based on them unwittingly supporting underlying bias and passing it on to yet another generation. It is hard to admit to ourselves how complicit we have been, and it's hard to diminish the impact of implicit biases. But with work, we can do it. Yes, my beloved Ruth Esther with her tainted blood. Yes, my hate-spewing childhood friend Tom. Yes, my beautiful brown daughter. Yes, Steve in the mirror. Yes, 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 we can. Some of those references, readers will know when they've read it, but it, this is the story of the impact of prejudice on my mother and on my child. I have an African-American uh, daughter, and 
and catching it inside my uh, myself and I, I out myself there. So we all, and this was before, of course, where we ended up recently here and now with, uh, you know, uh, with the, the, the kind of worldwide awakening after the George Floyd matter. But uh, absolutely, this is our agenda worldwide, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so it turns out we need tools to do that. One of the things that we've found in the act work is that these implicit forms of prejudice go underground when you go at them directly. When you simply say, oh, you shouldn't be so prejudiced, etc." Well, what happens is people, you know, feel if they've had good, good hearts for it, they feel a sense of shame about it. And they tend to push it down, ignore it. And then you send up really stupid things like, oh, I don't see color. Excuse me. If you don't see color, then you can't see what's going on around the world around you. This is not a healthy thing to say. This is not a, it's it's actually a prejudicial thing to say. It looks superficially to the mind. Like, oh, that's what prejudice doesn't, you know, an absence of prejudice looks like. No, it isn't what it looks like. It means witnessing injustice, even in your own heart and doing something about it. You can't do it by subtracting and ignoring what you have to do is, is learn to carry the pain of that. If I can give you a, a quick example of what we've learned, we, we've done research showing that underneath all forms of prejudice is this form called authoritarian distancing. I'm up, better and different, and you're a threat, and I need to hold you down. It's in gender bias, it's in religious bias, it's, you know, we've done the statistical work to show it. What predicts that? Failure to take the perspective of another person. You can't move consciousness behind the eyes of others. Failure to feel what it's like to be another. You can't open up to the emotional reactions and the, the life reactions of the person that you're looking at. And finally, running away when it's hard. Experiential avoidance. I'm not going to feel that. You have those three things there. Implicit bias dominates. It leads to behavior. You objectify and dehumanize others because you don't get it or because you can't afford to feel it. Yeah. If you can solve those three, now the implicit biases start to soften, start to loosen. Now the, bond, the, the, the chains of uh, 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 cultural bias that are being poured into us constantly by the media and by our, our culture and by our jokes and by our stories – begins to soften and you can uh, move in a more values-based way of creating uh, relationships and connections in a, a, a culture that's more humane, less uh, objectifying, dehumanizing. Yes. And we've got about 30 seconds left, so I'm so sorry to jump in, but I think yeah. that's a great place to bring us to a close. Um, I have been talking today with Dr. Stephen C. Hayes, uh, the originator of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. The book is A Liberated Mind. Don't forget about that audio course now available on Audible, which is for folks like me who are non-professionals and helping apply this to our life. And I'll just close with this quote. Um, uh, thank you, first of all, Dr. Hayes, for being here. And I'll close with a quote, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, and I read this earlier, but I think once again, this says it all. Um, this is from Dr. Hayes. I put my bet on our capacity to choose love over fear. That can only happen one person, couple, family, business, and community at a time when each of us learns how to put our own mind on a leash and become more able to open up, show up, and move forward toward what we deeply care about. We shine a light into the darkness that helps others do the same. There is a good word for it. The word is love. And with that, thank you for joining us today on Sunny in Seattle. I will see you next week. <laughs>